Um, you know, this year one of our focuses as, our, as a church is becoming friends. It is something that we want to be um, focusing on, hence being a focus. Uh, the other two are becoming disciples and becoming intercessors. The next series we're going to focus on is on becoming intercessors and, and prayer. And so that's going to be really cool as well. Uh, but we want to focus on becoming friends uh, this series. And, you know, our church over the last few years has worked really hard at building a family culture, right? Most people would agree. Yes? Yep. Yep, okay. Maybe that's waned a little bit. We might have to come back to it again. <laughs> but you know, family is that sense of warmth, that sense of security, that sense of being welcomed in. And it's a really important thing. God, God says that He is our Father and that we are His family. We are part of God's family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a, a message that the Bible tells us. But I think that there's also something that we can learn about becoming friends or being friends. And, uh, and that's what we want to be talking about this series. Let me just preface this by saying that I'm not making a value distinction between family and friends, okay? I'm not saying family is better than friends. I'm not saying friends is better than family. Both are important. Both are so, so important. And um, uh, we need both in our lives. And that's why we all have friends and family. However, and and, and I, lo- I love that when we talk about friends and family, we talk about them as our loved ones, right? Yep, we're going to talk about love a lot today. And... Um, But at the same time, how we make family and how we make friends is a different concept. And that's what I want to draw upon over uh, this message in particular. And I want you to think about when it comes to family and friends. You see, family is something that you don't really choose. Agree? Anyone here chose their family? When your, your, your dad's sperm was somehow going to meet your mum's egg and like, no, not this one. You can't choose. You were born into a family. And very much so as a church family, even though you might have chosen the church that you're in, I think at the same time is that sense of, you know that this is family because these are Christians. These are your uh, uh, God's family. And you know what? There are some people in God's family that I absolutely love. And there are some people in God's family I absolutely try to avoid. Right? But are they family? Yes. So we don't choose whether they're family or not. There's a whole bunch of kooky, weird uncles and aunts in this family that I don't want anything to do with. If you're listening to this podcast, we love you. We just don't want to be around you. You keep talking about how the end times are here. And we don't really want to talk about that right now. All right? So come to church and be part of the family, uh, but stay away from me. But the family, right? We, we know that we are family here. We come into this church, and I think you all felt that welcome, that sense of, I belong here. But friendship is something that is different. Friendship is something uh, that you have to commit to and make. See, there's one thing I've learned about family is that you don't actually have to commit to each other. You already are. If I don't commit to seeing my mom and dad, do they stop being my mom and dad? If I don't commit to seeing my sister, does she stay my sister? Yes. It might not be a very 
good relationship, but there's still that family relationship. However, friendship is something that you need to commit to. You see, when you are making a friend, you connect with the person. There is something uh, uh, that connects you to that person. There is this sense of, hey, we have something in common. In fact, C.S. Lewis writes this, and uh, not these exact words, but he says that the language of friendship is this. Oh, you are the same as me, or you think the same as me. You do something that I do, and I thought I was the only one. There's this sense of, oh, I found someone who I really can connect with. So where do you make friends? You make friends by doing sport with people, by being in the same environment as them. You have your school friends, you have your work friends, you have your church friends, because you make friends where there is a common point. And then as you have that common point, you continue to build and you continue to get to know each other, and then you decide whether that friendship is viable or not. I remember going to school as a, as, as, as a 13-year-old, going to high school at a time. In Singapore, it's called secondary school. And I met some people and I was like, I really need to make some friends because I'm in a new school. This is kind of intimidating for me. And, and I went to this school and I made some friends. However, the more I got to know these initial people that I connected with, and I connected with them because we met on the bus. We were wearing a uniform and I saw, I was like, hey, are you starting at this school and they were like yes and then we found out they were in the same class i was like connection and i got to know this person and i didn't like him <laughs> he, he was he always he was like a dull bludger in school always trying to get off my um assignments and all my notes and i was like you know what i might have connected with you we go to the same school but right now this is not really a friendship i'm gonna commit to I found other people in my school that I far more connected with and they became friends that lasted far longer because the friendship was viable. So you can see that friendship is far more transient than family. And I think that in this world there is a sense that we love that sense of belonging but we're scared to commit. We love the sense that someone loves me and someone likes me and I can connect with someone, but we are actually scared of building those friendships because when we continue to find out more about other people or when people find out more about us, I think there are many people in this world that are actually scared and anxious that people are going to reject you. There's this phenomenon that I think is part of this culture that we're living in where people get social anxiety but they're so scared to be in crowds of people or, or even meeting other people because of the fear of rejection. I would rather meet with someone that I know is always going to accept me. And that is kind of the world that we are living in. And I want to show you that in Scripture, that the concept of friendship is actually extremely important and one that we need to cherish. In our church, it is something that we need to cherish and commit to and build upon. I do have a, a, a confession to make, though. I'm probably one of the worst people to teach on friendship <laughs> because I am a terrible... I, I don't need people. <laughs> I, I grew up thinking that people were complicated and, you know, annoying, <laughs> difficult, unpredictable. It's like books, computer games, the TV is predictable. <laughs> 
every Sunday you get this TV guide and it tells you exactly when the shows you want to watch is going to be on. Whereas when I meet a friend, I'm like, are you happy? Are you sad? Are you anxious? Are you scared? Are you angry? What do you need from me? I don't know. You're annoying. And so I grew up many years not really thinking that friendship was worth investing in because people sometimes really suck. You know? And so that's how I thought. But over my journey, I have really learned a lot more about friendship. And I realized that God's actually created me for connection. You know, there is actually a theologian that wrote a systematic theology book that is used as a textbook in, uh, um, in, in Bible colleges and universities to learn more about God. And he titles this systematic theology book, not the study of God, not the study of Christianity. He calls it created for community. Because everything that we learn about God actually points us to community. Everything we learn about God requires that we have a response in community. There is this horizontal relationship that we, sorry, vertical relationship we have with God that necessitates a horizontal relationship with people. And we need to have both in order to be a Christian. And I'm going to show that to you today. One of the first things that really uh, uh, stood out to me when I started to learn about this is the command that Jesus gives to us in John chapter 13, 45 to 46. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I remember hearing this a message from a pastor at a conference and he would say, guys, we've got to realize that Jesus didn't say that by your good works, by your miracles that you perform, by the teaching that you give, will people know that you're my disciples? It is you have love for one another. Love is the distinctive of a Christian person. And what we need to realize here is that Jesus was talking to his disciples specifically. A little while ago, Jesus summarized the whole uh, law and the prophets in two commandments. Anyone remember them? The first one is? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is? Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so the whole law, the Old Testament is summarized in those two things. The distinctive is love. Love God and love people. And you're supposed to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus defines neighbor as anyone, really. Remember the Good Samaritan? Even the person that is your enemy, you are meant to love. Pastor Beck spoke about the Samaritan last week. week? Gosh, it feels a long time ago. Uh, The Samaritan being an enemy of the Jewish people, someone that they didn't like, but yet Jesus brings the Samaritan in as the hero of the story in the Good Samaritan. Why? Because we are meant to love all people. And I think Christians talk about that a lot. We talk about loving our community. We talk about loving the lost. We talk about loving and serving all those that are not within the church. But do we talk about loving people within the church? Because Jesus says uh, with his disciples as he was going to die, this was his final teaching, part of his final teaching to his disciples. And he says, a new commandment I give to you, love one another, not as you love yourself, but as I love you. You are meant to love the disciples of God 
with the same love that Jesus loved us with. How many of you think that that's, oh yeah, that's easy? How many of you are actually trying to do that? You see, I think that there's this thought that has entered my life and perhaps many other people that loving one another in the community of God is simply not hating them. I don't hate you. I must love you. I don't, I don't, I don't hate you. It's like, do you love your neighbor? I don't, I don't hate them. Do you love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think I have any beef with them. It's like, yeah, you don't eat with them. That's why you don't have any issues. No beef. Like, come on, the beef is the best part of the meal. Jesus says that you are to love one another. Who is he talking to? The 12 disciples. And these 12 guys were probably the most shocking band of brothers you could ever get. They spent three years in men's camp together, following Jesus everywhere. How did Jesus get these three guys, uh, sorry, these 12 guys, and consider what they're going to do together in order to build his relationship? He, he chose four fishermen. These are like the tradies. These guys had skin as tough as leather because they are out in the sun all day. They had calluses on calluses because they would be pulling ropes all day to have those nets brought in. They knew what it was like to do hard work. And then on the other end of the spectrum, Jesus calls a tax collector. His name is Matthew. A tax collector was a lackey of the Roman Empire, the enemies of Israel. This guy had sold his people out in order to make a living. And not just make a living, but to make a lifestyle. This guy was probably rich and had never seen a day of work in the sun. And there's one thing I know about academics who don't really work in the sun myself. I've done many building projects on behalf of my previous church, and talking to tradies when you don't, you're not in a trade is difficult. <laughs> they have a different accent. <laughs> hey, mate. Time for a smoker, I reckon. I was like, what? <laughs> and not only that, like, I wasn't an enemy of these tradies. Imagine these tradies thinking that this guy had sold me out. Yeah, go spend three years in camp together. I don't want to. I'll be scared to be in the same room with those guys for three years. And then on the other hand, there was another guy. He was called Simon the Zealot. And zealot didn't mean that he was passionate for Christ. It was a designation that meant that he was trained as an assassin to take down the Roman Empire. So you had the guy who was a lackey of the Romans with the guy who kills people who side with the Romans. Jesus chucked them in a room together. Let's see how they get along. Love one another, Jesus says. Loving one another is not killing you right now. I know what you did to my people. Jesus washed all their feet, including the guy he knew was going to betray him. You read about the disciples, they fought over who was the greatest. I've worked the hardest, Jesus. I've made more money for you, Jesus. I've killed more people for you, Jesus. <laughs> they were meant to love one another. You know, when I started um, working at my previous church at Centerpoint, I, I, I just I volunteered for a little while and they put me on staff. 
and I started working in the office with um, someone who had become a really great friend of mine. His name is Dan, and he was my youth pastor. I served in the youth team as well. But I had never worked with this guy, and I had met this guy previously, and I would just say we had some beef back in the day, all right? We didn't really get along, but, you know, we were in the same church now. We were both on staff, and I was like, okay, oh, brother in Christ. <laughs> and he said, let's go out for lunch. One, uh, this was one of the early days, and it's like, all right, let's go out for lunch. The good thing about it is that he loves Asian food. He married a Chinese girl. And so we were like, yep, let's have some Chinese food. That's good. We're on a good starting point. There's a connection point here. We got to this little Chinese joint, and he picks up the paper, sat across from me, opened the papers, and did not see me for the rest of the meal. I sat there thinking, this is so stupid. Not once, not once in that moment did I think this would become one of my greatest friends. Not once in that moment did I think this guy would make an amazing friend. <laughs> this guy is someone who would stick out difficult situations with me. There's one guy I can really trust. I'm like, he was reading the papers? And I said, this was the day before smartphones, okay? It was a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't have Facebook to scroll. I didn't have any apps on my phone. I didn't even have Snake on my phone. So I sat there, ate my meal. You know, Pastor Joel, our senior pastor, had to tell him off one day and say, Dan, when you go out for a meal of anyone, you do not read the papers. You talk to them. That's the kind of fellow he was. And... I didn't hate him, but neither in that moment did I feel like I was friends with him. I didn't really want to love him in that moment because he made me feel small and awkward. We weren't connecting. So what did we do? How did this guy become one of my best friends? We continued because we want staff working together. <laughs> we continued to do life together. And he taught me so much about life as we did life together that brought about a greater friendship. You see, I think that sometimes we think that friends will automatically make me feel good about myself. But when I look back at my best friends, most of them, we started off on a rough note. My other best friend, I thought I was too good for him. He was like, Nate, teach me guitars. Like, nah, you're too young. It's the same age. He was like, I'm too cool for you. I wonder if we use our instincts to make friends, how many friends we're actually missing. Jesus says that we are to love one another as he loved us. When Jesus came to these disciples, did he look at all their faults or did he look at their future? When Jesus came to his disciples and he served them, did he say, how much are you going to give back to me? Or did he say, I'm just going to give and I'm going to sow? Yes, Jesus didn't just get anyone into his group of 12. And that's what we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk about making friends, choosing friends, building this friendship. 
But there's something that Jesus says about the community of God that I think that we need to catch. Because he says a new commandment I give to you. Not a suggestion, guys. I'm not suggesting to you that you make friends in the church. And I'm using the word friends and love one another interchangeably because I think that when we say family, it leads to that non-committalness. Yeah, yeah, I belong to Lift Church. When was the last time you were there? Oh. How often do you go to church to be with your church family? Oh. As in when I want. That's, that's the part of family that I think we can go wrong with. As long as I am family in name, we got family in relationship. There's no commitment there. But when I don't meet my friends for a long time, do we really have a friendship? And so I think that there's a command that we need to bring about into our mind. When Jesus is saying love one another, I'm not just saying get together in name every now and then. It's actually building relationship with one another. That's what Jesus is saying when he says love one another. Can you truly say that you love people in this church when you don't even know their flipping names? When you don't know their kids? When you don't know the difficulties that they're going through? When you don't celebrate when they're having great moments? Because the Bible says you mourn with those who mourn, you celebrate with those who celebrate. Do we truly give of ourselves and receive from others in order to create a relationship. You know, Jesus goes on with this. This is not a one-off thing. In John 14, verse 15, he says, if you love me, this is Jesus saying, if you love me, if you love Jesus, you will obey my commandments. You will keep my commandments. And I think that's something that we need to realize. The way that we treat people is often how we treat God. If I treat people with disdain, if I treat people as though I don't really need to listen to them and follow, and follow up with them and build a relationship with them, that's how you treat your relationship with God. When you say, I love the church family and I love God, but I'm never around. And I'm always doing the things that I want to do. I'm not trying to condemn anyone. If you think that I'm talking to you, I'm not. I'm just trying to teach from something that I have learned for myself. You know, John, the disciple who wrote those words, those words seem to really ring with him and resonate with him so much so that years later, he wrote a couple of letters. One of them, very creatively, is called 1 John. This is the first letter that we have from John. And this is what he says in 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. I love that John starts this by saying, beloved. You know, one of the things about John is that he, he wrote into the gospel of John that I am the disciple that Jesus loved. He realized that Jesus loved him, and so he started to call everyone beloved. Because he realized that if Jesus loves me, he loves you. And then he, when we need to love each other as Christ loves us, he really seemed to have a revelation of that. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest. This is a memory verse from January. I'm still reading it. Getting there. That God sent his only son into the world that, so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God loves so loved us, we also ought to love one another. I think we focus on, oh yeah, God loves me part. 
But John makes a really big point here. Wow, the love of God. This is the love of God. This is the love of God. You have received it. You did not work for it. You did not have to do anything for it. You have received it. So, if you have received it, love one another. It was this natural outflowing that he spoke about. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. This is really interesting because he says that we can't see God, but when we love one another, God is manifested among us. When I love the community of God, when I build a friendship with the community of God, I am making God manifest. We can sing our songs of worship and feel good. And that is a part of loving God. I I think that's really important. Don't hear me uh, wrongly in this. Don't get this skewed. But there is something about us loving one another that makes God manifest among us. Now he goes on. John John is big on this. 1 John 5 verses 1 to 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God so we're all God's family, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. This is where John gets a bit weird, because his logic is a bit weird. God loves us so much, yes, so we should love God back, yes, so we obey His commandments, yes, that means we love other people, yes. How do we know we love other people? When we love God and we obey His commands. Huh? You see, in John's mind, loving God, obeying God, and loving other people are the same thing. Let me say that again. For John, loving God, obeying His commands, and loving other people are the same thing. The greatest sins that we will ever commit are not those sins that we have personally in our private lives. The greatest sins are those that we commit when we fail to love one another. The commands that we fail to obey are not the ones about your personal jealousy and all that kind of stuff, but it's more about your personal jealousy and your personal envy, your personal anger, boiling over and destroying relationships that you are meant to be keeping. And that is a hard thing for us. Because I think that many of us think that following God is a bunch of boxes or obeying God is a bunch of boxes to tick. But loving people is not about boxes. There isn't a box that you can tick. I love someone today well. Tick. Loving a person's a dynamic, changeable movable relationship. You want to tick the box. You're on the wrong face. Go be a Buddhist. Seriously, just burn some stuff and your God is going to be happy with you. How are God's not happy with us sacrificing stuff if we don't love one another? This is huge. Everyone who loves the Father must Love whoever else has been born of Him. So church, my question that I've got for us is do we love the community of God the way that we should? How do you commit to? 
How do you sow into relationships within the church? See, I grew up thinking that loving people is serving them. That was kind of the message that I got. So I would love people by setting out chairs. I would love people by, you know, doing all sorts of stuff in the church. I would serve, I would serve, I would serve, I would serve, I would serve. But one thing I would never do is I would never be open with people. I wouldn't open myself up to them. Because I was too scared to do so. I didn't want to give my heart to other people. And yeah, there are certain things that we need to be wise about, but I was on that end that I thought that, you know, serving people is good enough. That's my way of showing love. I have learned that that is not, that is not the heart of God. And how do I know that? Is because the Bible has a whole bunch of commands that are known as the one another commands. You see, in the New Testament, there are over a hundred instances where the Bible, where the biblical authors write one another. This is what you should do for one another. Over a hundred. Four of them relate to giving each other brotherly and sisterly kisses. Let's not go there. That's a cultural thing. That is not necessarily, oh, you should give each other hugs. Maybe when COVID is fully passed. But, but yeah, Greet each other with a holy kiss. Yeah, I'm still trying to figure that one out. <laughs> but let me read to you some of those instances, and I will show you the picture of what God means when he says love one another. Romans 12 verse 16 says, live in harmony with one another. And that was part of the problem for me, because harmony meant no strife, right? That's what I thought. And so if I'm not in deep relationship with someone, I'm probably not going to have strife with them, which means that's harmony, right? You guys are like way too holy. No, nay, that's not how it's like. It's like, we think harmony is so important. Well, harmony is important, but harmony is not the absence of strife. Harmony is actually getting along with one another. Let's read Romans 15 verse 5. May the God of grace and great love. No, no, no. May the God of endurance <laughs> and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ. Paul says, you know what? I want you guys to live in harmony. That is so important. So who are we going to appeal to? The God of endurance. The God of endurance. How many of you have put up with one another in order to keep the harmony? How many of you see the quirks of one another? Oh, you're nothing like me. You don't like the things I don't like. So we're probably not going to get along, say, love you. Endurance. Endurance. May the God of endurance grant that you can live in the harmony with one another. Oh, gosh, that is weird stuff right there. That blows my individualistic mind. Well, I have to do that? Yes, because you love God? Yes. Love one another. Endure one another so that you may have harmony. Romans 15 verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 33, So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I find this one really funny. That the Bible tells us how to have meals with one another. And when we come together, we wait. Now, this is specifically talking about communion. 
But back then, communion wasn't crackers and a little bit of juice in a cup. It was a meal. And the early church practiced having meals together often. Often. They would practice full-on communion. They would gather together and have a meal. And when they do, they make sure everyone has food before they start to eat. That's the kind of community that God is wanting. When was the last time you had a meal with someone in this church? Not a family feast that we put on. But you went, you know what, let's go have a meal. Let's have communion. Let's actually build relationship. And when we go out for a meal, wait till everyone gets the meal. Here's a little rule. We had a 70% rule. If you have a huge crowd of people, if 70% of the people get their food, you can eat. All right? Let's bring that into our lives. Let's get practical about this. Ephesians 4, 2-3. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Bearing with one another. If the Bible needed to tell us things like you need to endure relationships, you need to bear with one another, one another, I think God knows that relationships are hard. I know that God knows that us getting along in harmony and unity is not easy. And so he doesn't say, enjoy the fruits of relationship. He says, endure it, eh? <laughs> endure it. Bear with one another. When was the last time you had a relationship where you had to bear with someone? Because if you didn't, you don't have friendships the way that the Bible has described. When was the last time you had to endure aspects of a relationship? Because if you didn't, you might not be practicing relationships the way that God has intended. When was the last time someone else had to endure you and to bear with you? Because if you didn't have anyone, I'm such a good person. I didn't make anyone have to work for this relationship. Well, you've not been open. You have not been yourself. Because you are a cranky, normal, difficult, complex, annoying human being. And other people will have to put up with you at some stage in their life. Am I speaking truth? Let's keep going. Colossians 3, 13 to 14. Bearing with one another. Here we go again. (laughs) If one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Ephesians 4 verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of each other. When was the last time someone was able to speak truth to you without you running away? And when was the last time you took the pains to tell the truth to someone else, even though you could put the relationship at risk? Because godly relationships require that we tell the truth to one another. There might be ways to do it. We might bring it up next week. But that is a foundational point that we need to put away falsehood. And falsehood includes not speaking the truth. I didn't speak a lie. I just didn't speak the truth either. No. The opposite of falsehood is speaking the truth. And that's what we need in our relationships. 
I didn't put this one on the screen, but I found this. I, I, this came to mind. I really love it. It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. Now, the author of Hebrews is being really sassy here. He really wants you to get it. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. What day is it? Is it today yet? Yes. Who have you encouraged? Now, seriously, think about this. Who have you encouraged today? According to this scripture, we need to remember every single day to be in contact with one another. Every single day. I saw something this morning, I thought it was quite hilarious, but if you watch all the episodes of The Office, you chalk up about 50 hours, I think, or 99 hours, something like that. So if you've watched a whole TV series that has like five seasons, you spend 100 hours on TV, and you couldn't pick up your phone. By the way, there's technology. This was written when there weren't phones. Maybe they had carrier pigeons. <laughs> but I don't know how many of them would have owned one and say, you need to send to five different people, I love you. And then the pigeon goes, I love you. <laughs> like, what the heck? No, these guys would have met up face to face with one another. The early church in Acts said that they met daily to have communion, to have teaching, to have fellowship. How many people in this church do you meet with or get in touch with at least once or twice outside of the Sunday? And it's not to do with teams. It's not, yeah, 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 we are in touch all the time. Remember your rosters on the Sunday. <laughs> that wasn't encouraging. <laughs> your friends you will keep in mind. That's something that this world has forgotten. Your friends you will hold in your heart. And there'll be this desire that is birthed from commitment to see them at their best, which requires me to remember daily to encourage them. I'm not perfect at this. I'm terrible at this. That's what the Bible says. Final one for this morning. Remember, I said there's hundreds of them. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We are meant to be stirring one another up to love and good works. And the author says, as a comparison, not neglecting to meet with one another. I've heard many people say that they don't turn up to church because they don't think anyone's going to miss them. I've heard so many people say, it doesn't matter, I'm not on roster, I don't need to be there. The Bible says that your presence with one another is a part of stirring and encouraging one another up. We read so much of these scriptures and we think about, oh, what do I need? What about what other people flipping need? 
What happens if this church recognizes that the one another verses in the Bible is not optional? That I'm meant to encourage, stir one another up by meeting with them, bearing with their quirks. Don't you test me on this, people. When I have a meal with you, you put the newspaper up, I'm going to tell you you're a terrible friend still. But do we do that? Are we trying to build friendships that we actually love? Are we going, oh, they don't get me? Why do we build walls instead of bridges? Why do we not put in the effort to meet? And that includes the Sunday gatherings. That's why we call these gatherings, because this is a time for us to get together. This shouldn't be optional. This shouldn't be put aside for your personal pursuits. This shouldn't be neglected. But beyond this, what friendships and relationships are you forming? If you step into a church and you step out of the church and there's no one that you are thinking, I need to encourage them this week, you have not connected. You have not connected. You have breezed in and breezed out as though we are a Macca's drive-through. This is not a Macca's church. This is a community of disciples, and Jesus commands us to love one another. When we come in, we should see, oh, someone is suffering. Someone is in need of encouragement. Or someone is doing well. Well, let's continue to build that person up. Know people's pain and hold it with them. Celebrate their wins instead of getting jealous. How are we loving one another? Why this whole idea of friendship has become important to me is because I think the word friend demands that I actually know the person. How many of us have more acquaintances in this church than friends? And we are not even that big. Today we've maybe got 20 in the room. And we don't know each other that well? Really? What steps are we going to take as a church this year? What steps are you going to take this year? Who are you going to reach out to this week? Whose number are you going to get today? Because guess what? You might not need to visit seven people this week to encourage them because you got a phone. <laughs> God has blessed us with technology. And we get to do some of these things even easier than they did back in the day, but we don't even do it. I don't do it. It's my day off. I've had enough of people. I'm not saying that friendships outside of the church is not important. That is also important. But there's something about this that needs 
to become stronger. I believe that there's going to be a day when it's not going to be as easy to know everyone in this community. And I hope that by that point, we have all been built up by the relationships we have with each other, that we can be big enough to love those that come in. That we have grown enough so that when people come in, we are strong enough to bear their burdens and to endure them and to put up with them. (laughs) Which is a part of relationship. In Jesus' name. But we need to do some work. And I'm not saying this in a condemning way. I'm saying this in a, God put something on my heart. And it's really precious. I don't want to lead a church where we are strangers. It's strange family. I want us to be family and friends. Where we understand that we belong no matter what we do. But we're also committed to building relationship with one another. Again, I'm not saying that you need to be best mates with everyone in this church, but you need to have some. You need to have some. You need to do life with people. My best friends in church life got formed through doing life together, doing youth ministry, doing band, just having lots of conversations, hanging out, and doing those things. It takes commitment. If we are going to break the bonds I read recently, that there's a loneliness and an isolation epidemic in our nation. That cannot be the case in the church if we are to follow the commandments of Jesus. Can we get the band up? And can we get the host team? We're going to have communion, which means that every person needs to wait till everyone gets the emblems. Seventy percent. So if you're in the last couple of rows today, sorry, we're going to go without you guys. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Lift Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.